if you have spent any amount of time in the church or if you have family that has been in the church, that psalm is probably pretty familiar. If you've never heard Psalm 23 before, then welcome to one of the most comforting psalms in the Bible. And what I'd like to do today is just quickly go through and do a short exposition on this text. And so we're going to start in verse number one. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The sum of all wisdom is contained in two things, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And so here, just in this first verse, we're introduced into two pieces of wisdom that David gives to us and what he's describing in himself, we can begin to look at Psalm 23 and we can read it for ourselves. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And so that tells us two things. It tells us who God is and it tells us who we are, in this case, who David is. And so in this case, God is the shepherd, which means what about David and about us? We're the sheep. (laughs) We're the sheep. And this is wisdom because how much comfort from this one verse that if the Lord is your shepherd, what does it say? I shall not want. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I am his sheep, which means that I am dependent upon him for everything. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, Lord, my Lord, Jehovah You are my shepherd, which means I am dependent upon you for everything. And if I am, then David recognizes, he affirms that if the Lord is his shepherd, if the Lord is the one whom he is dependent upon, that he shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is good. Even as they would sing As the temple was finished, for the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever, over and over and over again, just so that they would know that the Lord is good, and His mercy, or His tender, loving kindness, endures forever. We have a good God, and He takes care of His sheep. His tender, kind, his tender loving kindness endures forever because the Lord is a good shepherd. And so David affirms this. He literally declares it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he describes the care of the Lord. He describes the care of of that shepherd. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. When we see that he leads us in green pastures, the first thing that we see is he's leading them to the place. He's leading David to the place. He leads us to the place where we find sustenance. Right? 
Think about the Near East and the arid, dry conditions there and how a shepherd must lead the sheep to the places where the green pastures are so that they can graze, so that they can eat, so they can be healthy. And the Lord is providing David's sustenance. And even in that, we can remember what Jesus said. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And so where is the Lord leading him? What sustenance is the Lord providing for David? He's providing for him in communion with himself, his own very words. And here, what do we see? We don't see he leads me. Uh, What does it say? He says specifically that he makes me lie down in green pastures. So it doesn't say, now the inference is that we're going to eat. But for him to say he makes me lie down in green pastures means what? It means that the provision is more than enough. That there is this place of resting in the provision of God, knowing that it is more than enough. And we have grazed so much and have been so filled by Him and from Him that we are led to this place of resting in Him, in His Word, in what He has provided. It makes me lie down in green pastures. We are fed. And then what does it say? He leads me beside Literally, resting waters. In other words, he leads me beside waters that that though they are running, therefore they are living, therefore they are clean, therefore they are able to nourish and to quench thirst without poisoning, yet they are calm and resting enough so that as a sheep I'm not carried away by the current. He leads me beside resting waters so that not only is our hunger satiated, but our thirst is quenched. And what is the result? I mean, think about a good meal with good food and good drink and that rest that comes from that. And and what do we often say? We sit back and we say, man, I wish that this could just like go on forever. Now, in that moment here and now, we're then filled with remorse because we must know that it's, it won't, right? But as sheep of his flock and pasture, we can know that one day it will go on forever and ever and ever, right? We'll have those moments where... I can imagine we're just blown away. And so that even in the here and now, when we have those moments where we're like, oh, I just wish this would go on forever, we need to immediately remember, one day, one day, if the Lord is my shepherd, it will. Where we will rejoice in the presence of our Father, we will bask in in the presence of our Savior, we will enjoy together communion with Him and with each other in such a way that there will never be a breaking of that communion. It will just go on and on forever. That's a good thought. Amen? It says, He leads in paths of righteousness 
for his namesake. And literally the way that this can be rendered is he leads us in plain and straight paths. So that the, the way that the Lord leads, it's, it's clear. It's not confusing. He doesn't lead in such a way that he gets so far out in front of us and makes so many turns and curves along the way that we lose sight of him and are lost. But rather, his leadership is such that he remains in front of us and leads us in plain and straight paths. Why? For his namesake. For his namesake. This care, the feeding the quenching of thirst, the restoring of soul. Literally, the restoring my soul there means converted or renewed. He, he converts my soul. He renews my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness and plain and straight paths. And all of this care that the shepherd is giving to his sheep is a testament to the watching world for his own glory and goodness as the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. It's amazing how many times throughout the ages, even in the middle of dark ages, God cared such for his people that people declared them to be witches. Because how could they be spared in such a way, unless there was some magic going on there. Well, it wasn't magic. What was it? It was the tender care of a good shepherd for his sheep. Doesn't mean that every hard thing is put away. And that's where David goes next in verse 4. Which comes almost as an anomaly after what we've just read. Right? Leads me beside green pastures uh, or makes me lie down in green pastures. I have everything I need. Uh, I've got the still waters. I'm, I'm, I'm refreshed. My, my soul is converted and renewed and I'm led in plain and straight paths for his namesake. This is all good. And then verse 4 comes in. And what does it say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of of the shadow of death. One commentator said, True believers, although they dwell safely under the protection of God, are notwithstanding exposed to many dangers, or rather they are liable to all the afflictions which befall mankind in common, that they may the better feel how much they need the protection of God. What we need to understand, what we need to affirm, even as the sheep of God, is that we will walk through hard and difficult seasons of life. David affirms, even though I walk. He doesn't say, even if I walk. He says, even though I walk, which actually leads us to believe that this psalm is actually written out of that season and not the season he was just speaking about in the previous verses. The fact that he has to say in verse 1, I shall not want, even though he has to say in verse 4, I will fear no evil, leads us to believe that David is writing this out of a season 
of intense trial. Where the temptation is to fear. Where the temptation is to look around and say, but I'm wanting. But he's affirming God's goodness as a good shepherd. David here declares that in this event, in the event of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he will lean on the providence of God, even as a king. Because remember, he's a king. He does not promise himself continual pleasures. That's an interesting point. Here David is. He's the king of God's people and he's in a place where things seemingly should be good. When he talks about wanting, if we looked at David's material life, we would say, what are you talking about? Why? Because as the king, he had no wants. There was no time that his, his table was not filled. There was no time that his cup was not filled. There was no time that he his possessions were lacking in such a way that people were afraid to give the king a line of credit? So what is David talking about? He's talking about the internal condition of his soul, which is why he needs that converting, that renewing, that restoring of his soul. As Jesus would say, you can gain the whole world. And still yet lose your own soul. You see church we will have as some have called them dark nights of the soul. We will have those times in our lives where it seems like everything is crushing down around us. And we can't really see a way out sometimes. It is then that we must preach the gospel to ourselves. We must preach Psalm 23 to ourselves. And with David say, I will not fear, even though I'm afraid right now. I shall not want, even though right now it looks like I'm lacking. God help me to know right now. That if I have Christ, I have everything I need. That in Christ, everything I need, I already possess. God, as I look at my situation, help me to see that. Help me to know that and help it to go from here to here. Help this truth that has informed my mind to inflame my heart, to worship you and to declare with your word that I shall not want. And I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me, David says. For you are with me. Turn to the right just a little bit to Psalm 139. We're going to look quickly at verses 5 through 12. Why won't David be afraid? He says, because you are with me. And in Psalm 139, verse 5, it says, You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Where can we go to get away from God? We can't. There's nowhere. There's no valley of the shadow of the darkness of death that is so deep and so far from the light of God that God is not there, that He does not show up, and to Him, darkness is as light. He created it. He lives in it. He dwells in unapproachable light. And so there is nowhere that we are that we are beyond the reach of His hand, for He is mighty to save, and His arm is not short unto salvation. And we need to know that today because there's a couple different reasons we end up in the valley of the shadow of death. We often find ourselves in the valley of death because of our own wandering. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And though He leads us in plain and straight paths, though His leading is clear, we are prone to wander away from it. We are prone to leave the paths of righteousness. We're prone to leave the straight and narrow yet clear path to wander broad highways curving this way and that until we have lost our way. We follow our flesh rather than the Spirit. But this is what we need to understand. What does David say next? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a shepherd in David's day, and David was a shepherd at one time, and though he also carried that really cool slingshot by his side, two things a shepherd always had. He had a rod and he had a staff. They're two different things. The rod was more like a club, and that club was used to beat off enemies, whether they be bear and lion, as David had to fight off, or robbers and thieves. That rod was there to protect the sheep by beating away the enemy who came to steal, to kill, or to destroy. But then there was the staff, also translated crook, the shepherd's crook, right? And that's where... We imagine the shepherds from the crush scene in the nativity with the, the long, curved, hooked staff. And what was that for? That was for correction. As that sheep gets out of the way, that shepherd could hook that sheep and pull him right back where he needed to be. Or if that sheep had wandered so far and fallen down into a ravine or, or into an area where, where he couldn't get back up, that shepherd could lean down and pull up that sheep 
with that shepherd's crook with his staff. And David says, now imagine, that's probably not very comfortable. Nor do we often want to be pulled a direction away from where we really want to go. But what does David say? He says that your rod and your staff, what? They comfort me. They comfort me. Why? Because David understands that there are a couple of different reasons that he can end up in the valley of the shadow of death. He can end up there because of his own wandering, which we would affirm that there is nothing that God has not allowed, even for our sanctification and our growth and maturity, so that even in our sin, God is at work in us for those who are his. But sometimes the shepherd himself will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. For periods of testing, like what Peter would talk to us about in his letters to the church. That your faith, though it is tested like gold in the fire, would be purified and proven. So that everything that is not of God would be burned away and that all that would remain is what he is for you. So that your worth and your value and your identity would be locked up in who he is and what he's done and what he said about you. Sometimes the shepherd himself will lead us through the valley and that's where that rod comes in where we know that the good shepherd is there to beat away the enemies that would come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Why? Because there are green pastures and still waters on the other side of the valley. He leads us through these times where we are dependent upon Him. And sometimes we go through seasons where people will talk about, it feels like a wilderness right now. It feels like the heavens are bronze or brass or whatever else you want to call it. And, and I feel like I haven't tasted a drink of water in a while. Fear not, my little child, but lean into the everlasting arms of your shepherd, for he will lead you and guide you through this valley, and if need be, he will pick you up and carry you to the place that he is taking you. Either way, this we know, as David said, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. He is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. But in love, he will correct us. And in love, he will at times allow us to go headlong into sin. So that we will find out just how merciful how gracious and how loving and how needful we are of him. In love, he will correct us and he will discipline us and yes, even rescue us. So whether it is for testing and purification or for discipline, this journey through the valley of the shadow of death, even this is done in love, is for our good and is for his glory. And we need to lean on him and trust his ways. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. 
As we talk about the discipline of the Lord, let's see the preacher in Hebrews and how he spoke about this act of love from the Father disciplining his children. In verse 3 of chapter 12, after the famous cloud of witnesses verse, the preacher says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline. That you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Listen to this. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here the preacher tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so when we enter into those seasons and those periods of time where we feel that shepherd's crook reach around us and yank us back into place... We can be comforted even as David was comforted. Why? Because the Lord disciplines, He corrects those He loves. And if you are living in sin right now and you know it, and you have not felt the discipline of the Lord, you should be more afraid of that than of His discipline. Why? Because the Lord disciplines those who are His Just like it would be really weird for me to step in and discipline your child in your place. Because it ain't my child. The father disciplines his children. He steps in and he disciplines those whom he loves. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want Heidelberg Catechism, New City Catechism starts out and it says, What is our only hope in life and death? The answer is that we are not our own, but we belong both in body and in soul to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The answer essentially is that we are not our own. And so the preacher says the Lord disciplines those he loves. And if you are not receiving discipline, if you have not, if you are left without discipline, he says you are illegitimate children. But this is the truth. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And you need to know this morning that God loves you. He loves you. 
And when I say if you're living in open and rebellious and unrepentant sin, you don't have to sit around and wonder and guess and think about whether or not that is you. We're not talking about little things that you've forgotten about or you did on accident and you didn't even know it was a sin. That's not what it's talking about. The Holy Spirit has been knocking on your heart's door and saying, you, this is it. I'm telling you, it's time Put these childish things away and come into the path that I have laid out for you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would say, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. What is he doing? He's he's convicting of sin. He's bringing correction. The Lord is using the Holy Spirit like that comforting I'm sending you, what? Comforter. Who will do what? Who will convict of sin. Who will bring correction. Who will teach you all the things that I have commanded you. And so we can look at the discipline of the Lord and we can actually say, praise God. Praise God. Why? Because I know that I'm loved by my Father. How many rebellious teenagers rebel and the one thing that they're looking for is, are my parents going to love me enough to discipline me? Are they actually going to care enough to correct me? How many times I've sat in counseling sessions with teenagers where they've actually affirmed that to me and said, I'm just doing it because they're letting me and I'm just wondering when they're going to pay attention to me. The Lord knows his sheep. He loves his sheep. He cares for his sheep, and in love he will discipline his sheep. Now make no mistake, discipline does not equal punishment. It's not punitive. It's not punishment. And we can affirm this morning that our punishment as believers was poured out on Christ. And so his discipline is not punishment. What is it? It's correction. It's loving correction. Does it hurt sometimes? Yes. (laughs) It can. And what is our call in those moments? To lean into him all the more and say, God, this hurts. It hurts. And I need you. I need you. I need you. I don't know if you practice this, those of you who have children, if you practice this with your children, but it's something that we try to do. But after we discipline our children, after we bring the staff of correction sometimes to their little behinds, we make time for love to bring them back into our arms, to embrace them, And to let them know that yes, we disciplined you because the Bible tells us so. And we disciplined you because we love you and know you will not figure that out until you get older. (laughs) But know that you are loved. We love you. Discipline is not punishment, but it's correction. And the preacher even says here, for the moment all discipline seems painful. Like, I love that he's just real about that. There's no, like, trying to get around it, and, 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 it's, and it's not a masochistic thing. It's not, oh, God, discipline me. I, no, it, 
we, we rest and rely on him. And when he sees fit, he, he is patient with us. And in his patience, he may put off discipline for a time. That doesn't mean to keep running headlong into sin. It means come back before the discipline comes. But when the discipline comes, yes, it may be painful, but it only remains until we repent. And when we repent, the Lord relents. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I believe that this speaks to, as some of the church fathers spoke of, unfeigned obedience. That this discipline leading to peaceful fruit of righteousness means that righteousness is coming out and it's, it's unfeigned. It's not, oh, I better do the right thing so that God doesn't discipline me, but rather we have been trained by discipline to learn the character and the nature of our God who loves us and in love we respond by wanting to be obedient. And it's not a feigned obedience. It's not a, an obedience out of fear, but rather it is an obedience out of love. It's the obedience that Jesus talked about. If you love me, you will obey me. It's, it's not a, if you really loved me, then you would do what I said. Rather, it's a statement of truth that if we love him, we will obey him. And again, the discipline of the Lord what it is, is a sign of sonship. And so even though the discipline may hurt, even though the discipline may be painful for a time, in the middle of it, know that he disciplines his kids and he disciplines those he loves. And no discipline, no correction, means that at least up until this time, illegitimate child. So what do we do? We embrace it and we get on with it and know that in this discipline, the Lord is teaching you about himself and about his love, his character, and his nature. Back to Psalm 23 in verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We, we sang it this morning. And it wasn't the prosperity gospel. It's the truth. It's the truth for those who belong to the Lord that, that there is blessing in the Lord. It doesn't always come in the form of a jet and a Rolls Royce. But there is blessing in the Lord. And we can sing those words in truth and rejoice in them. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why is that important? Because as Blake reminded us from Ephesians chapter 1, when we're talking about the blessing of the Lord, what blessing are we talking about? We're talking about Christ. In Christ, all the treasure of spiritual blessings dwell. 
but now I'm getting ahead of myself. So verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The Lord here in verse 5 in David's song moves from shepherd motif to host. Right? You don't set a table for, sh- for sheep. They stay in the green pastures and beside the still waters. So, so David is, is changing the motif here, and now he's relating to the Lord as a host. And again, in this condescension, I mean, think about this. We're changing motifs here. We're moving from the pasture. We're coming into, presumably, the palace. And Jehovah God is the one with the, with the towel. It's backwards. Right? I mean, it's... It shouldn't be. With Peter, we can feel that angst as the Lord puts on the towel and he unrobes himself and he bends down to wash his feet and we can say, Lord, no, it it shouldn't be. I should be serving you. I should be washing your feet. My tears should be falling like the woman that we saw. And if my hair was long enough, I would, I would wipe them. Lord, you, I should be serving you. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, let it not be. For you will have no part in me unless I serve you. And then what does Peter say? He says, then Lord, wash not only my feet, but my head as well. Wash all of me, Lord. Wash all of me, Lord. And we see in this psalm the condescension of God as Jehovah God puts on the towel and he serves. He serves. And he doesn't serve with guile, he doesn't serve with pretense. serves in love. He serves in love and David is being served again and cared for again and provided for again. Not only that, but it's happening all in the presence of his enemies. His enemies are present and yet picture this, David is at peace. David is at peace. He's not bending down as the warriors with Gideon who knelt in such a way and brought the water up to their mouth so that they could drink because they were not at peace but were at war. But rather he is seated at the table and he is served and he is cared for in the presence of his enemies and yet David is at peace. Again, why? For you are with me. For you are with me. This blessing and provision is a sign to David's enemies that he is the anointed of the Lord. Through all of David's rule and reign and everything that happened, one thing was sure in all of the Near East. David was the Lord's man. But even in this present provision, in verse 6, 
what does David do? He looks at the table that is there. He looks at the provision that is there. He looks at the blessing and the bounty that is his there. And then what does he do? He lifts up his eyes and he looks forward. He looks forward to a greater day. Even in the midst of all that the Lord has provided, he lifts his eyes and he looks forward to a greater day. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall, one day I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I want you to turn to John chapter 10 as we start to bring this all together. John chapter 10 beginning in verse number one. Jesus now is speaking. And in this chapter of John, we have the fourth I am statement that Jesus makes in the book of John. And here he says, I am... The good shepherd. The connotation being for the people in that day was not just that Jesus was any old good shepherd, but rather that he was the good shepherd from Psalm 23. So he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And what does he say next? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We'll stop there. Jesus is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, why is this necessary? Isaiah 53 verse 6 and Romans 3.23, the first part, tell us and affirm for us that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But preemptively, as an act of grace, as a sign of God's goodness and His mercy, because of the covenant of redemption that was ratified between Father, Son, and Spirit, the shepherd became a lamb. And our iniquity, our sin, has been placed on Christ. Provision again has been made. The table again, has been set. But this time the meal is the body and the blood of our Lord, of the Lamb who was slain. Look at Romans 3.23. We know the first part. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what does it say? And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If by grace through faith you have believed into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, then not only have you been forgiven, but Christ's righteousness has been applied to you. And you are welcomed at the table. But notice... You are welcomed while still battling the indwelling presence of the enemy of sin. Because it's already not yet. Christ has taken the penalty of sin for us and we are justified. But the presence And the power of sin still remains, though it is weakening as God, by His Spirit, through the process of sanctification, is conforming us to the image of the Son. It is is weakening, but it is still there. So what do we do? We look at Psalm 23, and we are comforted as we hear how David says, You prepare a table before me. 
in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of this enemy of sin which I am still battling and which there is still war raging between us as I am by your spirit day by day more and more trying and striving by grace through the spirit to learn what it means to obey. And though my sin at one time kept me from your presence, because of Christ, it keeps me thus no longer. And even in the presence of my enemy, I am welcomed at the table of the Lord. The communion table is a constant reminder that we are his sheep. And he is our shepherd. We are cared for and provided for by the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. I had never paid much attention to this before. But it brought new comfort to me as I prepared for this message in Revelation chapter 7. Verse 13, it says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Would you stand with me this morning? Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Perhaps today you are hearing the shepherd's voice for the very first time. The call to you this morning is to come in faith to him, repent and turn from your sin and find that anyone who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask God that even during this time of communion and of worship, that God, you would restore our soul. Renew us, God. And help us today to receive the care of our good shepherd, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Apply it to us today, we pray by your Spirit, in the name of the Son, all to the glory of the Father. Let it be. Amen.